What if we could reimagine the traditional notion of a high flyer? Hey friends, welcome back. Welcome to the High Flyers podcast, where we do reimagine a high flyer, showcase relatable role models and their journey in work and life, including their sunrise, magic moments, hustle, and much, much more to help you achieve your potential, become your best self, and continue to be 1% better every single day. I'm your host, Vidit Agarwal, and let's get started. Today, in this episode 111, I'm speaking with Laura Henshaw. This one's special for the raw, candid, and human conversation we have. Learn about a sunrise in Melbourne, Australia, with two younger sisters, and the effects of seeing a parent separate when she was 11. Laura shares the guiding light her mum has been from the early days, we reflect on our shared memories of not appreciating our childhood as much and the thief of joy that is comparison. Topics we unpack include the importance of female financial independence, especially post-birth, creating the Keep It Cleaner business, affectionately called Kick, with our friend Steph, and how it's become multifaceted with a health and wellness app, grocery products, and a movement amongst females with a large social media following. I love Laura's views on being an entrepreneur rather than an influencer, and how she manages social media activity and being there for her first believers. It's now time to explore your curiosity. Please enjoy. Laura Henshaw, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to have you on. It's kind of like Henshaw part two. We had Dalton a few weeks ago, so this should be... This should, I feel it'll be better, so it should be good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's start with some fun facts to set the scene. Where were you born and where do you live now? I was born in East Melbourne and I live in Bayside in Melbourne now. Mm. And what was your first job and what do you do now? My first job was at Subway mm. and so I was a sandwich artist. I remember the training wage, so the training wage was two months and I remember it was $6.70 or something, which is crazy to think back on. Um, so that was my first job and I got that as soon as I could. So I was 14 in nine months and I got that job. And now I am the CEO and co-founder of Keep It Cleaner, which is a health and wellness app. Mm, very exciting and we'll get into those things shortly and Laura as you know the purpose of this show is to reimagine a high flyer I wonder is there a high flyer in your life where you feel hasn't got the recognition they deserve oh it's such a such a beautiful question I mean I think for me would be my mum my mum has had the biggest impact on my life what I do today the way that I my work ethic um, so much of my success is is a big testament testament to my mum and um, how she raised myself and my sisters. Um, and yeah, she she I think it's like a lot of mums, but they don't get the credit that that they deserve because she had a hugely hugely big impact on on my life. Let's get into that as part of your sunrise. You mentioned growing up in Melbourne. What are your memories of that environment and the yeah influence of your family? Oh, so I think when I think back to my childhood, so I was, I am very lucky. I have two sisters. So Lucy is the youngest. She is six years younger than me. So I'm 
how old am I now? I feel like after you get past 25, it's really hard <laughs> yeah. to remember how old you are. Um, yeah. I'm 29. Um, so Luce is six years younger than me and then Sienna is three years younger. So mm. I, I suppose I grew up having, you know, two friends with me at all times at home. My, I have to say there, my little sisters were a little bit, I feel like they were very, very close and then they would, Mm-hmm. They looked at me more like their mum because I was bossy. <laughs> I was going to ask, what what was that like as the eldest? Because I'm the eldest and I've got a younger brother who's four years younger. And it's kind of like you, you have taken all that responsibility. And I was joking to some friends the other day that even if I did something to him that was his fault, the question would be, what did I do to get that reaction out of him? Did yeah. you have something similar with your sisters where it was like, you're the eldest, you've got to be the responsible one and they can take full advantage of that? Yeah, I mean, I think now it's funny because back then, yes, but I think now my sisters think they always say, you get special treatment, which I don't oh. think I do. Um, being the eldest, but that, that's what they always say. Um, but, you know, when I think back to my childhood, I, I played a lot of sport. I, lo- I spent so much time outside and I think now it just makes me so sad when I see and I understand and I'm sure um if Dalton and I are able to have kids and and when when we hopefully do I'm sure they will end up with devices in their hands all the time Mm. but I'm really grateful I think for for me growing up so I was born in 1992 we had it was this really special time where we got to benefit from technology as we got older But, you know, that was having one computer. We had one computer in the family room so everyone could see what you were doing on the computer. It was the time when the home phone was connected to the internet. So you couldn't use the internet unless someone wasn't on the phone. So it meant that you couldn't sit on things and do things for, you know, four hours. We didn't have, um, actually, when my parents separated, which I I can talk to, we did, my dad, at my dad's house, he had Foxtel, which was, Mm. I loved that. Um, (laughs) but, But before that, we didn't have any of that. So... Yeah. Um, we we just I spent a lot of time outside and I loved playing team sport. I think playing team sport for me was is one of the biggest lessons I've had in terms of leadership in my life, and I'm very grateful that that I had that from a very young age. Um, and I think I've developed skills in that and being a part of the team that I've been able to. Um, and I think and uh, it's it's interesting Dalton with his leadership. My husband, who's also been on on your podcast, um, he he's very much the same. And um, I think you learned so much from team sports. So I was really grateful I, I did that. I was never very good, but I tried my best. I was always in the B team, but I didn't really care. I just as long as I was participating, that's that that was okay. Um, so that there are the really positive memories of of my childhood, and then. Um, when I was, how old was I? I was 12. So I was in year seven, my parents separated. I think at that time, I mean, it's interesting when I say this, because I'm not sure if people who, I feel like you still would feel isolated now, even though separation and divorce is, is much more common, um, than it was back then. I still feel there was probably, I mean, depending on the school you go to and everything, there's still a bit of kind of isolation feeling and you feeling like you're different. So for me back then, none of my friends that I went through kind of primary school with had separated families. Uh, even in my high school, there was one one girl that I knew that had separated parents. But aside from that, everyone else had, you know, what I would call it. And, and I put, I say this in, um, what are they? Quotation marks. Quotation marks. Marks. Quotation marks. A normal family. And so when my parents separated when I was 12, I was, I was so embarrassed because I, it meant that I was different and I didn't have this kind of, again, in quotation marks, perfect family that a lot of my friends had. So when, when they separated, I actually didn't tell anyone for any of my friends for one year. 
mm. because I was so embarrassed by it. And I think I, I look back now and, and I, I feel really sad. I think as a as being the oldest, I kind of felt like I, which is so silly because I was 11, but as an 11-year-old, I felt like I was in charge of keeping my parents together and mm. stopping the conflict at home. So obviously because they, they weren't well matched and I can see that now and I think for both of them, they stayed together a lot longer than they, they probably would have you know, for myself and my sisters um, because they wanted to, you know, keep the family unit together. And I think it's, yeah, it's it's sad to think back now of what I I was so, you know, if, I, if there was anything that happened, if there was any kind of conversation that I thought was going to turn into a, into an argument, I would, I would just, you know, be like, oh, it's okay. And, and I, I just, I thought that was my job, which obviously it wasn't. And I think too, that probably then created the relationship with my sisters that I was referring to before mm. about me being more so like them looking at me as like a mom as opposed to their sister which now we're very very close and I'm so grateful for both of them um but I just took I felt like I had this responsibility and then I think too when they did separate I felt like I hadn't done enough to keep them together but obviously I couldn't have done anything and it was you know the best thing that happened for everyone because they my dad moved into another house and um, we ended up obviously as when your parents separate or depending on the family circumstances, some, some families have um, enough money to be able to keep the family house and then the other person, um, which is actually what happened in, in Dalton's situation with his family. So his dad um, stayed in the house that they grew up in and then the, um, Dalton's mum, they purchased his mum a house. But in, in my circumstance, and I think it's quite common as well, there's not enough money to buy another house. So mm. you have to sell the family house, divide everything. Um, and that and that was really hard. I think too, because we, I was really lucky, we grew up in a really nice area, but we had, um, and I mean, I don't know what all of my friends, you know, financial situations were, but, you know, the things that you look at when you're growing up, as yeah. things that you feel mean people are, you know, in quotation marks, rich or they have, have enough money um, and they don't have financial stress in their house. So things like I feel like the snacks they had in their cupboard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like they had the fancy snacks. Like we never had any snacks yeah. um, except kind of almonds and mum would say have some wheat mix. Mm. Um, but anyway, um, and then, you know, things like if they got new clothes all the time and the car they drove and all those things and, we, so because we grew up in a, we were really lucky to grow up in a really safe, beautiful area, but it did mean that I felt kind of inadequate a lot because I didn't have the same clothes and the same, you know, just new things that my friends have, which now I can look back on and I, I obviously know that that does not matter. And I remembered one memory um, of when with presents and it's just crazy how as soon as you compare what you have to what others have. You can take all of the joy away from yourself. And I remember one Christmas, we, we used to always get one present each from our family, from our parents. That was wonderful. We we're so lucky to, you know, have have a present from them. And I was so excited and I was going into primary school and I remember walking in and I was about to tell my friends, you know, what present I got. And then one of them, you know, started talking about how and, and um, had a photo, like a printed photo, because obviously we didn't have phones, of their tree. And their tree had, you know, you couldn't even see the floor and, and they, you know, they said, we, I got this and this and this and this. And then someone else started talking. And it was really interesting because when I think of that conversation, when it started, I was so filled with joy and I was so excited to share. But when I heard what others had, all of a sudden, all of my joy was taken. And then I felt like what I had, there was no joy in it anymore. Um, 
and yeah, it was, it was interesting to to reflect on that. And and even I mean, it's it's now why why with everything I do, I'm so um, I, I'm so conscious of of that and never wanting anyone to feel like they need more because I think we often compare our lives to others and it makes us feel like our lives are inadequate. But if we just focus on what we have and what is in front of us, there is so much joy in it. Incredible. Thank you for being so candid. And I think the phrase I think of while you're saying that is ignorance is bliss. It ties back with social media as well, which we'll talk about. I find it. And, and it's funny you talk about not appreciating childhood. I think I, I'm, I've been fortunate. My parents are still together and, and I had a relatively nice childhood. But when you're growing up in that, you don't appreciate it. And now I look back mm. and I'm like, wow, you, mom and dad, you did so much for me, whether it was sport or doing karate or calligraphy or all kinds of kind of just go and experiment and explore your curiosity which um you're right like that's kind of the maturity where you when you're young you're just comparing to others and there's always someone better than you yeah in the world there always is there's always going to be someone with more than you and there's always going to be someone with Mm. less than you but then when there's people less than us we don't sit back and go look at how good our life is right we only compare to people that are better than us was that kind of gratefulness gratitude doesn't really at least for me doesn't appear when someone's worse off it's like oh I should be grateful for what I've got you kind mm. of put that aside and you're like god oh, I'm not special so why why would they be sort of approach um I, I'd be curious about influences growing up because it sounds like you were quite mature at the age of 12 and you kind of have to be when you see that life mm. ap- life happen the way it did was I don't think I was that mature when I was 12 I was I was a kid who just played around and I'd go in the park who were kind of your influences growing up? If you look back, was it your parents or was it other people in the family unit or did you have posters on the wall? Like who would you say shaped your thinking in those early days? I would say definitely my mum. Mm. As I touched on at the start, mum taught us and I think one big lesson I'm very grateful for that I learned from my mum is how important, especially for women, your career is and I because I think I mean even when we were growing up in the 90s there was a lot of and my mum was the same so she my my dad ran he had he had a lot of different um career paths that he took but at one stage um for the majority of my childhood he had a news agency and so mum I think sometimes worked in it but because we had she had three girls three young so I was when I was six Sienna was three and then the youngest Lucy was she was born so mum had about five years out of the workforce and to to be the primary carer and what that meant for my mum's career was that obviously she had that time out of the workforce she then she then had gone back part-time by the time my parents separated but her part-time salary wasn't enough to look after us um, and obviously my dad supported, but both of them, they they didn't earn a huge amount of money. So there wasn't to, the thing, that's the thing when parents separate, when you, because I've listened to a lot of people speak about separation when the family has a lot of money, but when you don't, you have to, what you have, what the, the you know, the two incomes combined, and this is why for single parents, it is so hard. Mm. You have two incomes combined and that's fine. But then when that's separated and you have to then have enough money to, you know, fund two households, it makes it really hard. Um, and so for mum, she went back to when they when my parents separated, she went straight back into full time work, um, and w- which was you know it was, it was great that she was able to do that because she was working part time to move into it. But I think for me that was a huge lesson 
because if my mum had not have been had been back in the workforce working part-time at that stage she it would have been so much harder for her to go and get a job to then be able to have you know have enough for, for our family and so that was a huge lesson for me um in and and as well with mum it's so funny now because she always used to say to me um and she always asked Sultan and I now like oh but what, are you thinking of having kids anytime soon or like what are your thoughts and I'm so excited to be grandma and all those things but that's only started in the past two years because before that mm. she was like Laura you need to establish your career you need to make sure that you are in a position where and what mum always openly speaks about with her career is that when she had us um and she didn't have uh, me super young she was 27 I mean, that would actually feels young because that would have been me having a baby two years ago, which I <laughs> wasn't not ready for. Um, but she wasn't that young. But anyway, she what that meant is when you step out of the workforce, when you are in the earlier, and it's it's absolutely not a blanket rule. There's some people that are able to kind of sustain it and they come back quicker, and depends on the resources you have. But when you step out of the workforce, and this is why too, obviously, the gender pay gap is such a big problem, um, and. There's also women kind of think, oh, I'm going to have to be the primary carer. So then they don't get the promotions. They don't ask for them. They don't, they have it in their mind that, oh, no, soon I have to kind of like pull back because I'm going to have a baby. And and it just, it affects the whole cycle and we have to get out of it. But anyway, so with my mum, so she, when she left the workforce at, you know, 2027, she hadn't been in there long enough to establish herself um, and her career. And so what that means when you don't get to, you know, whatever position it might be, it's so hard to come back because then you kind of have to, you kind of go back to where you were at 27 or even when you when you stepped out. Um, and sometimes it can take a lot longer to build back up. So I think that's something, that was something that I absolutely learned from my mum that we actually, it's so funny, we had a sticker on our fridge growing up that that a man is not a financial plan. Oh, wow, that is great. It's great. It is great. And if I have daughters and if I or sons or whoever, whatever gender our children are, like that's something that that if I'm lucky enough to have children, that's what I'll be telling them. And if it's it's a woman is on a financial plan, a person is on a financial plan, you need Mm. to have independence. Um, It is it is so important. Um, And so that's one of the biggest things I learned from my mum, because I think, too, then when you have financial independence, it means that you have, you know, you have options to make choices and it might mean for you know for some women if they're in a relationship where there is um any type if they're not happy you have the choice to leave but when you don't have that financial independence you don't so that's something that I learned from my mum and then I think if I think of other influences in my life I would say in my in my childhood especially women uh, were my I had a few teachers um, that were, I had one in grade five that I remember, and I, I can't remember her name, but I remember exactly what she looked like. And I remember we had parent-teacher interviews and some te- parent, the teachers would say to my, my parents, you guys, you, Laura asked too many questions and, you know, she's, she talks too much and whatever. She's too curious. But then this one teacher said, Laura asked so many questions and it's wonderful and I love it and then she should never stop doing it. And I've remembered that ever since then. And I have, I know so much of my learnings that I've had in my life has been because I have asked questions and I'm curious. And so um, that's something that I'm very grateful for. And then I also had a wonderful teacher in year 12. Um, Her name was Miss Nash and she was so wonderful. She supported me so much um, and I wouldn't have got into the course that I did without her. And and she helped me again 
like reinstill that if I work really hard on something, which was in English, but I wasn't, I did horrible in year 11 and I was like, I have to improve for year 12. And I was so lucky that she saw how how much I wanted to improve and um, what I was willing to give. And she gave me so much of her time that she didn't have to. So um, that was that was special as well. Um, yeah, I've deleted that memory. I've deleted a lot of high school out of my memory bank because I was a very average kid. And and you talk about teachers. I was all my parents were always told at parent teacher interviews that Vidit has no chance of even going to university. So I think like I talk I talk to founders now a lot about chips on our shoulder. And I'm like, yeah, mm. I've got a massive chip on my shoulder to prove to those teachers who didn't believe in me. And mm. a lot of society, I mean, even dad growing up. He was great and he ran his own business and he's kind of a hero of mine now. But growing up, he'd go, Vidit, what are you going to do with your life? Like he'd wake me up in the middle of the night and we'd go sit in the living room and he'd be like, I can't sleep, Vidit. What, what do you want to do in your life? Was mum, similar to your mum, always believed in me and always backed me and always was that shining light. But I think one thing I want to share on the mum point, which my girlfriend made me realize the other day. So my mum was a stay-at-home mum by choice because dad Dad was fortunate mm-hmm. he built a good business. But my, my girlfriend, Joe asked me the other day, she said, because you saw your mum at home for the first 20 years of your life, is that your expectation for your partner? And I'm like, wow, I've never thought of it that way. Mm. And and I'm like, that's actually a great conversation to have. And, and Dalton came on and spoke about talking loudly. He said, you and <laughs> you and Dalton, you and um, Laura talk loudly. So I said, yeah, that's something I said to Joe. I said, yeah, we should talk about these things openly and I'm really glad she brought that up because it's funny how even stuff like that which might be in your subconscious mind yeah absolutely and I think too you have to have those conversations because I think for some for some people and and some women they want to they want to be the primary carer that that's what they want to do they want to stay at home be a full-time mom that's absolutely fine obviously there's a lot of privilege in being able to do that Um, but then I think it's really important to to not have that assumption that because if you're in a heterosexual relationship the assumption that okay well I have a wife therefore you know she's also super career driven but she's going to stop her career and obviously I think it, the hard thing is, is especially in a heterosexual relationship is if a woman is breastfeeding the child is literally connected to yeah. her for however long that she breastfeeds right so that's hard because that's something that the you know the, the father in that instance can't do unless they go to bottle feeding um, but I think it's you know past that first you know six nine months how can having that conversation about, you know, if, if the, the female in that relationship does want to go back to work, that that's okay. And like that's it, she should not be, it's, there's this assumption that the mum will sacrifice her career. And, and sometimes people want to do that and that's okay. But I just think you're so right. You have to have that conversation and not have that assumption. And I think too, it's also based on the, I mean, even the cost of, I've, I've spoken to some women, some women who the tra- cost of childcare is, is almost the same as what they would earn. But for them, mm. they are going to work, not because it's, because obviously from, for bringing money into the household, which is obviously a, a reason that a lot of people go to work, one of the reasons, but the other reason is it becomes your work becomes you know it's fulfillment it gives you a purpose every day it's it's something else about you and our work is not our life you know you, we can be lots of things mm. you can be a mother you can be you know you have x job you're this friend whatever it might be but I, I think it's um and it's interesting I I have spoken to women that, that they do that because yes they're not bringing a lot of money into their household but they they want their they want their career to you know keep going and they know that by investing the time in now 
then in five years, they're going to be five years ahead than if they stayed out and then tried to come back in in five years. It obviously depends on everyone's circumstances, but it is just so important to have the conversation with your partner um, and just not to have that assumption that the female will stop and, you know, take five years off. Um, mm, because absolutely. it then yeah. means that, yeah, they, and, and I think too in terms of, um, I think because I have been, my parents are separated, I think it's something that I think about a lot, but if you, if you were to stay home for five years, the, your partner, in that instance, if, if you're married to a, a male, he will go to work and his his salary will increase, you know, year after year after mm. year. But when you're at home, you're sacrificing that because it's not happening. And then yeah. if you are to separate kind of five, ten years down the track, it obviously depends on your financial situation, but it then means that one person has, and you don't, that's not something that's separated in the divorce, like how much someone earns. Yes, they have mm. to give um, child support. But that's time that you can't get back. So I just think it's so important to have have that conversation. Absolutely. And it, and it does snowball as well. Like it turns into superannuation and there's so many aspects yeah. of Yeah, I want to bring the conversation back to back to you, Laura. And let's talk about let's talk about the work aspect. We've kind of touched on it around some bits and we've jumped around a bit, but when, when you were, say, 20, I generally ask 18, but I feel like I'll use 20 because, like you said, you went, you saw the separation and, and you were obviously seeing a lot. What was success at that age? Because I, I look at you now and, and you're, like, very ambitious, very driven, as am I. Were you always like that? Did you always want to do stuff? Because, like you said, growing up, you saw your mum, but you saw struggles in your life. Does that almost motivate you when you were 20, so nine years ago? Did that almost motivate you where you're like, you know what? I'm going to show the world that I can make it too. And and that's completely healthy. But did you have that inner desire? Oh, absolutely. A hundred million percent. I think for me, because growing up in my childhood, financial instability caused so many, and it wasn't that my parents didn't work hard. They absolutely did. And, you know, my dad worked really hard. So did my mum. But, you know, for some people that you can work really hard and you never get rewarded with, you know, your salary going up or whatever it might be. So for... For me, because I saw money was something that caused so many problems in my house and it caused so many worries, I had, I think it was very probably fear-driven to be honest, but Mm. I was so driven to not have financial, uh, to have financial stability in my life so that wouldn't be something that I had to keep fearing and worrying about through my life. But I knew that I wasn't, it wasn't just going to happen. Like I had to work really, really hard to get there and so... Um, at when I was 20, what was I doing? I was studying law and business at, the, at that stage. Um, I'd started modeling on the side, which was, it was really great money. It was paid better than waitressing. So that was, it was fantastic. <laughs> um, and I was really driven. And I think too, when I look back at, I, I think, um, you know, Kick hadn't started at that point, which is the, the company that Steph and I founded in, how many years ago now? We started in 2015, actually. It's been quite oh. a while um, with an ebook. Um, but mm. before then, I didn't, and even in the first few years, I was, I didn't have a ceiling for myself. And I think I, I'm very lucky that I, I didn't have that. I, and it's definitely naivety, but I just thought there was no limit for what I could do and what I could achieve and, and what I could try to do. I had this plan in my head. I was going to become, um, I was going to, you know, finish my studies. I was going to become a lawyer. I was going to you know, I looked at the, this kind of salary ranges of, and I was so, much, but it's interesting. I was so, now I'm, um, I, I think too now because I, I'm so lucky to be in a position to, in our household, Dalton and I, where we do have financial security. 
it's not something now that I see as value as success, but I think when money mm. is is this scarcity around money, it's something that, you know, is very much for me, it was like, that's what it was about. So I was like, okay, I'm going to, you know, become, I'm going to do whatever, my internship at a law firm, then I'm going to do five years and I'm, then I'm going to get to this and then I'm going to become partner and then this is how I'm going to do it. I had this whole plan. Um, and I, because I was just so driven to, to make sure that I had that financial stability and obviously I haven't, I haven't become a lawyer, but my drive has not changed. It has just redirected in, into something else. Mm. I'd love to go into keep, keep it cleaner and, and maybe I want to ask about how it started because I think you've spoken about it on another podcast, but if we go inside some aspects of the business, maybe the first one is the co-founder relationship, but from what I understand, you and Steph have different personalities. Like I feel like you're the business mind and she's the kind of marketing mind. That's my interpretation looking at it from the from the outside and maybe I'm wrong. But tell me about that co-founder relationship. How's that grown from when you started in 2015 to now? Because that's something that's not talk, spoken about enough. Like people talk about the products you have and the team you have and the social presence but I feel like co-founder relationship is like the core tenant to bring all that together mm. no absolutely and I think I mean in terms of the business mind Steph and I both have that I think that's really important um that you I mean being co-founders that's something that we've we both have the same vision for the company um we both we both really had a very similar role for the first few years three three to four years of, of running the company but mm. what we've now kind of and as the company grows, you have to define your roles because it's confusing for your team. And that, that's kind of why we've you know, had mm. to define what we do. Steph's a lot more creative than me. Um, so that's well, definitely I one my perceptions right. Yeah, I've got no, um, my kind of, I'll look at two screens of the app and Steph will say, which one? What do you think? <laughs> and I'm like, what? Are they different? She's like, yes, Laura, the font, whatever here. And I'm like, I don't, as long as it feels yeah. to me like kick, it's fine, you know. Um, but so that that's just very creative. And she works um, very, very closely on the product experience side of kick. Mm-hmm. Um, and so co-founder relationship, yes. Yeah. So when we first started, a lot of people said to us, don't go into business with your friend. Going into mm-hmm. business with your friend always goes wrong. Um, there's, you know, you need to have, even at the, the start, there were all these people saying, you need to write up an agreement um, between the two of you. And so we had this one page kind of, because we weren't um, registered at a company at that stage when we first did the ebook. It was a, what's it called? A, a partnership, I think it's called, mm. before that, which you, you still register. Um, and so we had this partnership agreement, which it's funny because we never we never looked back at it and it was never something that I think with 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 co-founders obviously contracts are really important but I think if you're in a relationship where you refer back to a contract often it's probably not you shouldn't have to I mean they're there for protection but you shouldn't you shouldn't have to so mm-hmm. um we anyway because people were telling us we should have we, we had this very basic one page agreement um and then and then from there it's been it's honestly been my uh friendship and you know business relationship with Steph has been the best thing in the whole world um, I feel so lucky. I think I speak to a lot of founders and people who run businesses and CEOs that do it by themselves. And, and I mean, even Dalton. Dalton is um, obviously the, the sole founder of his company. And he, I think sometimes it can be really isolating because there's no one, you know, those lows you, you feel. And obviously, you know, you have your team, but 
a lot, some of the lows are things that you want to protect your team from and are behind the scenes. And as a leader, mm-hmm. I try and be as honest and transparent with, with the team as, as possible. But I also, um, in, in some ways, protect them from some things that are going on behind the scenes that I know that I can sort and it's, it's part of my role to fix it, right? Um, but for Steph and I, having someone to go through those lows with and not being alone and then having someone to go through the highs with, it's really special. Um, I, I think it's, I, I don't think we would still be going if we didn't have each other. Or we definitely wouldn't, that the kick would not have had the success um, that, that it's had. And I think it's really special to be able to say that it is because of, you know, both of us and our team as well, of course, that Kik has had the success. There's not one of us that feels like, oh, it's I do everything and, and um, you know, it's the other, I'm, the other person's not carrying their weight. Like we both, we both are so comfortable and confident in what we both bring to the business. And I think that's really special. And I think too, I mean, first and foremost, our friendship comes first. And so I think having a really strong friendship and wanting to protect that then means that we are better um, better at our jobs and better at working together because we are so protective of that friendship. So we communicate so much, over-communicate, but that's that's important, right? Um, and so, yeah, it, it's it's interesting. So a lot of people ask, well, how do you, you know, work with your best friend? But it's it's just I can't imagine it being any other way, to be honest. Mm. Well, what I probably love the most about Kick is the multifaceted nature of your business. Like you're a consumer business, but you've also got a technology aspect in the app you're building this movement with with females and, and young people in 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 general and, and you've got a big social media following i think when i was researching for this podcast that's that's one i was most blown away by and my thought there was as investors when i look at founders and they come to me for either investment or just wanting to talk when it's a technical business you're always looking for a technical co-founder and you're like can someone build it in-house particularly in the early days because mm. You don't have the, generally founders don't have the money to get an agency or to outsource it or to give it to someone. I'd be curious to talk about that because from what I understand, neither of you have a technical background. Like you can't code, you can't code and you can't create apps. How did you, was that the first step having the app or did that come later on where you were like, you know what, let's have the technology component to it. And how did you do that in the first six months? So that came later on. I think it's something okay. that a, a lot of um, founders will write to me and ask, oh, how, how much was the app to build? And I'm, I've got this idea. Mm. What do you think? And I mean, a lot of the ideas are wonderful, but building an app, the reality of it, it is very expensive. And I think mm. the other reality of building an app that people do not speak about enough is that you can't just build it. The maintenance of an app is something you you can't pay, you know, to say an app costs, it doesn't cost more, but to say it costs $100,000 to build an app. I think a lot of people get caught up in um, the idea that it's an $100,000 investment and then you just make money from your product and you never have to service the app again. But uh, maintenance of a tech product is is huge you know there's we've got a, a team that that were a lot of a lot of the work that we have to do is maintenance and you know if ios has a new update you have to make sure that everything talks to that you can't just leave it so i think that's something that i think is not is not spoken about a lot and i think a lot of founders unfortunately by some agencies get um maybe aren't misled but that mm. if you don't know to ask those questions how are you going to ask them right 
Um, so for us, we started, so as I said, we started with an ebook, which obviously we had no idea how to do it. We literally Googled how to, how to make an ebook. Um, from that um, selling of that ebook, we then had enough money to be able to build a website. We didn't build it. We had a, we had a web developer build a website for us, which was a subscription-based website. Uh, back then, that was in 2016, there wasn't a lot of subscription products. Like now, obviously, subscription is, is a part of life. It was a bit new, newer back then. Um, it was We had offered three recipes and one workout a month, so it was very small product offering. Mm-hmm. Really not a lot of value there, but obviously, again, you, you can't, I think you can't wait until something's perfect. If we had just wanted to start with the app, we would have never started. So we we did that. Um, and then we worked with actually another company um, who on a fully service kind of program. So that was a web-based uh, program and a web app, I suppose you could, you could say. Um, and so that was when we first started offering Keep It Cleaner as something that, you know, had a daily workout and, and a meal plan and a meal guide and recipes. And then um, one year into that time, we, so that the, there was another company running the business and Steph and I were very much, um, I suppose, talent in, in, that, in that business model. And for us, we were so passionate about running the business and we had so many ideas and, um, and with that company as well, we had a web product, we didn't have an app product and there were so many things we wanted to do and um, we took the biggest risk we'd ever taken in our entire careers and, and that was going out on our own, building our own team. Uh, we started from scratch. Um, the company that we worked with, which was it was just a part of the legalities, the, um, everything was owned by, by both of us, which meant that when, the, um, when we finished working together, no one owned it. So we had to start again. We lost the whole subscription base. We lost our whole database. Wow. Um, but we still had our, we, we owned Keep It Cleaner, we owned the social media, and so we were able to communicate to people that way. And I think that was a huge, so we relaunched three days later um, with an app and we had more people on the app than we'd ever had on the web product before. So that mm-hmm. was a huge just testament to the power of community, first of all, and then second of all, the power of social media and how it can be a very, very powerful platform in terms of communication um, and, and connecting with people. And so that that for us was was the biggest risk that we'd taken. And at the start um, with the app, we partnered with a uh, company called Playside. It's an app and games company. Um, they've actually gone public or they went public a, a, uh, just over a year ago now and they are focusing on games now. But we, we worked with them for a few, how many, two years um, on building the product and that was a, a way for us to be able to. They're, they're really fantastic. Um, and then from there in 2021, January 2021, we um, decided it was time to bring our, because uh, obviously we're a tech company, but we didn't have tech capabilities in-house. Um, so we knew that that was, a, as a business, it's, it was a big risk. So we decided to bring um, our tech capabilities in-house. And so we did that in Jan 2021. And that has, it has been very exciting. But I mean, the, to, to go back to your question, when we were interviewing for that um that first role of the lead in, in the company, it yeah. was, there was so much trust in that interview because Steph and I couldn't <laughs> ask about the tech stack. Like now yeah. I know more about it, but yeah. you know, we, at that stage, we had no idea. So it was, it was really just trusting, you know, the, the person that, um, the, the people that we were interviewing. Um, yeah. And I suppose entering more, interviewing more for a cultural and um, fit and someone who was aligned with our vision as opposed to can they actually do the work? It was a big trust exercise. Um, but yeah, so we've, we've learned a lot, um, but we both do not come from a tech background. So lots, lots more to learn. 
but kudos to you for for doing that and you've done the same mm-hmm. thing with grocery as well right you you didn't you didn't work in the grocery business no, yeah. you launched your products and fun fact prior to what i do now i spent about a decade in fmcg i was actually one of the senior buyers at coles when you launched i remember i remember we used to look at your data and we'd be like your sales data and we'd be blown away by the results you were getting and we the only the kind of connection we could find was to your social media following and the trust you'd built there. Mm. And and we and I think there's other people now, like I think Uninspired Unemployed recently, I read something, they've launched a beer brand. And oh, it's the, the fastest growing beer, beer company in a, ever. And, and they've probably used a similar model to, <laughs> yeah. to you around building that trust first and then launching merchandise around it. And even that, because I think your point around talent versus being an entrepreneur is so good because... I used to get people at Coles and I get them now as well as an investor. We'd come, people would pitch you and they would be the influencer, but they wouldn't be in the business. And I think that's something I want to talk about because I know you and Steph, I don't know if you were advised to do that or if you were back to your mom where she said, have that kind of independence. Can you talk about that? Because I think that's something that back to again, maybe females or males as well. People don't know that because early on you start a business and you're like, cool, I just want the recurring income. If someone is going to pay me per post, I'd rather that than buy 20% of the business and get a return when it gets acquired in 10 years. Did someone sit you down and go, Laura, you need to have a stake in the business. Don't just be an influencer. I Well, it's interesting because I think, I think I've always had probably in me like an... Probably it comes back to the not thinking I had a ceiling, which I think has been in that at that time was the the best thing in the world. I was so naive, but that was wonderful. And I was so driven to, I think I had a lot of belief in myself, I would say. And, and Steph was the same. Um, and we, we've always been quite, and I, it's interesting. I don't know where it's, where it's come from because I mean, growing up in, in my household, like my dad did run a few businesses, but I would say my, like, I didn't get help with my homework from probably grade six, right? I did it myself. And I think I just, I I think as well, I was, and maybe it came back to that financial security and kind of wanting to ensure that I had that, that financial security. And so I was very conscious of not wanting to, because I think, and it's something that Seth had as well, she, um, in some of the, 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 we, we knew we could sell products for brands and we had and I also I would do things for brands and, and talk to people and I would just think oh my goodness I wouldn't do it like this I would do it like this and what about and I had I had all of these ideas and I think I I didn't I, I didn't see any barriers in wanting to you know own the business ourselves because you know we had all these ideas we wanted to own them we wanted to be um when I say in control of, you know, obviously if you work for a company and you're an influencer for them, you don't have any control over what the product mm-hmm. is, what you can choose, if, what you're going to say about it or if you're going to do it. But that's kind of all that all that you had. And I think I've always had a bit of, um, I mean, even when I was I was talking to Seth recently about games we played growing up and I, I we didn't have a PlayStation or anything. Well, we had Wii Sport because mum let yeah, us have yeah. it because <laughs> like activity, physical activity. <laughs> um, but aside from that, I used to play this game called Lemonade Stand and it was like basically running this Lemonade Stand business. It was my favourite thing to do if I was allowed to go on the computer. And so I think mm. I or have always had in me this kind of entrepreneurial spirit. And even when I was um, waitressing for five years and I worked at this, this pizza shop, 
um, which was wonderful. I have, I have such great memories there. I had, when I was working there, I had so many ideas that I always get home and I think, oh, what about, with, like, what if we did it like this? And um, and obviously not running the business, though, you don't have, you can have these ideas, but you don't have power over if they are actually, you know, come to life or not because you don't own the business. And so when I was, um, the first business I started was when I was, I was 19 and I started a protein powder business um, uh, with my personal trainer. And that we, we were in business together for about a year. The business was going pretty well, but we just, we didn't, the, we didn't have the same vision for the company and he ended up keeping it and I left. But I have, I think I've just always, I, I think it just comes back to not having a ceiling on, I, I just didn't, mm. I didn't, I, I, it was an almost like, well, there was no question. Like when we worked with, I mean, even the story of how the grocery business came about when we first met up with um, Tom and Jim, our two co-founders, Tom reached out to us. And originally it was about, um, he reached out um, because he wanted us to promote a, I think it was a gluten-free bread thing that he was wanting to do. And by the end of that conversation, we sat down with the intention of talking about, you know, being, talking about the product and then if we liked it, you know, maybe being ambassadors or whatever. But by the end of that conversation, we decided that, no, why don't we make, keep it cleaner into something? So I think Steph and I have always been very, um, I suppose, business-minded in that it wasn't, it was like being an ambassador wasn't, that wasn't an option in my head. It was like, we're going to own the company and we're going to help. We're going to, because we know how to build it. We know how, we know our community, we know what they want, or we're not going to do it. No, massive like kudos naivety. to you. <laughs> Maybe, but I massive don't know. kudos to you. I think you're not giving yourself enough credit because the health category is a very, very competitive category. And mm. I don't think without you and Steph being involved, Metro Food would have built it into the brand. It, became and, and and then eventually got acquired and and now sits under a different different company i understand so massive kudos to you and, and steph for doing that i'd love to talk about social media laura because so fun fact in the last week i have deleted my social media apps because i've just been burnt out mm. and i'm just constantly scrolling and, and comparison and and also as a creator of sorts i'm always looking at someone else and i'm like why did they do that why didn't i do it and i recently ran a series of events and even when I post something on social media, I'm always watching the likes and comments. And even though I'm similar to you, I'm not seeking external gratification, but the way I am, I, I do want to be loved and I want to be appreciated. And so I deleted them the last week and I said, I'm just going to see if I can just have them on my laptop and I'll just check them when I'm on my laptop. But if I'm on the train or if I'm at the gym, I won't do it. And that's my, and I asked Dalton this and he said, he's not as active as you are on. No, he's not. It's our media. biggest argument. Yeah. So I'd be yeah. curious, how do you very how do you manage that? Because like, I just find it exhausting and I'm not on it as much as you are. Like I see your stories, you're on it, I'd say once, at least six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 times a day. Yeah. And you're probably re- commenting back and replying. And, and I, re- I remember I, was, I saw someone at the airport once and she had like three charges with her and she was walking around and I just assumed she was like um, something to do with social media. How, how do you manage that? Because I think that's something people probably don't appreciate where they look at you as a prop sometimes, right? And they go, she can just do this, but you're human at the end of the day as well. Have you gotten better at managing that social media? And is it like something to you now that you have to do as part of one of the things in your job and then you separate yourself? Or because you do it because you enjoy it, I assume. You could you could easily just be a business owner and, and be on the business side and not be as active on social. I would say perhaps. no, I couldn't. 
I don't think so. I think if I could choose, honestly, if I could choose right now in my life to have social media in it or not, if I didn't, if it wasn't a part of my job, I would not have social media because it's something that takes so much time. Mm. Um, I think the most beautiful part about it is, I mean, we wouldn't have been able to start Keeper Cleaner without it because we had no marketing budget. So, you know, it's not like we had the traditional way to to talk to people and social media has has enabled so many people to start businesses that never Mm. would have had the opportunity before. But I think with me, the hardest thing is, and I think too, is um, since I've taken on the role of CEO as well, and my my workload in terms of working in and on the business has increased a lot, aside from any social media stuff, um, I find it really hard to balance because it is important that I'm on there because a lot of what we do is is creating connection with people, building relationships mm. and, you know, people finding us through social media and then coming into the kick world and then, you know, eventually... Um, trying the app, which is the business, right? And so uh, what I struggle with, I think the most with social media is I've put, I, I'm, maybe you could tell, I put a lot of pressure on myself. And I, as with social media, I think the hardest thing with it is you never can do enough because mm. I could always do more. I could always create more videos. I could always spend more time on TikTok trying to find more, you know, ideas or trending sounds or whatever it might be to then create more videos that then could grow my reach. And there's no limit to the reach that you can have on social media. So I think what's very hard for me is that I am very, I'm very good at, I think coming back to that, you know, you work really hard at something and then you can succeed. I think in the school system that worked very well for me and my, the way that I type A personality that I am, because you work really hard, you do your exam, you're finished. But with, I mean, with running a business with social media as well there's no end point it's not like you stop it's like no you have to keep and and for us as well like saying relevant is obviously really really important saying on top of things Mm -hmm. ensuring that we are being you know kick is built on being relatable and real so that's really important but then at the same time we don't Steph and I both don't we run our own pages and we don't um kind of plan we don't use planogram or whatever those things are which we do use for kick um the Mm -hmm. team use but you can't kind of plan when you're going to be vulnerable like doesn't really work it doesn't really work like that right um so I think it's something that I have a very interesting relationship with and I think it's really hard because at the moment especially with Dalton and I both running our own businesses we work very long hours during the week we get home from work and then usually we keep working and then on the weekend that's the time when I have space to think of things and I suppose be more creative on social media and, and share things but that's then our time and so that's why I think it, it, it is. And we often, like, I, we would probably have an argument about it once a week because Dalton will feel um, kind of like, well, this is our time. And I say, well, this is important. But sometimes it's, it's hard because, you know, sh- shooting a silly TikTok video can seem silly. But if you go back to the core of how Kick started, as you said, how we got into Coles with our products was because of our social media influence and reach. And that's not yeah. something... When you have a community that connects with you, you owe it to them. And I, I know some people don't agree with this, but I believe that I owe it to them to show up every day because without them, I would not have, there would be no kick. And so I can't just turn off. Yeah, so that's, it's that's hard. a great point. It's, that it's hard. <laughs> but that's so true that you can't forget your first believers. And I think no. that's something that you see often with public figures where they get so much fame and following where they disconnect and, and you see it on the news every day where... And, and I think that's probably testament to you is that 
connection at a human level is there. And I think the part I find the funniest, like having done the episode with Dalton a few weeks ago and doing the research is he comes across as very polished. Even his stories are very like the colors and the way he promotes it, even the way he dresses. Whereas I think you try and be more just human, which works really well. I think that balance, like I can relate to Dalton because I try and be this perfect person. And my girlfriend, Joe says to me, she's like, who are you trying to impress? I'm like, I don't know. I'm probably trying to impress myself because I mm. want to come across as perfect and dress well and be polished and say the right words. And was I think you seem like you're secure with yourself to just say it and have a laugh and not give a shit about it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, it's funny. Jolson's <laughs> like, we, I always, um, if I ever ask him to come to my videos, like once out of like four weeks, he'll say yes. Um, but no, it's, and it's interesting. I think I've gone through a bit of an evolution in the past year too, because I think for, for me, for a very long time, I was trying to prove to everyone that I wasn't like, yes, I've done influencing in the past. And I mean, mm-hmm. I still, like, I suppose you could say that it's something that I do, but I also, and same with Steph, run a business and we have a team and we're entrepreneurs, right? And and so for me, I felt for a long time I had to prove that, I mean, and even, even in the grocery business, like so often we would be looked at and people would say, oh, they're the marketing girls. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, you know, we did more than that. And I think I had, it's coming back to that chip on your shoulder. For mm-hmm. me, I think it was kind of overhearing those things and um, makes you, for me, it was like, I need to prove that I'm more than an influencer and not that being an influencer is not enough, you know, that's fine. But for me, I want to run a business and I do run a business. And so I think that's where I have had to navigate in the past few years, because there was a time when I thought I had to be perfect. And I, you know, even through my socials, I changed the way that I was sharing because I wanted to be only seen in this entrepreneur. I never wanted to do anything silly or be real or, but now I have really challenged myself into thinking that, you can be more than one thing. You can be this, you know, polished person in a, you know, like, I mean, even our podcast with the kick pod, like a lot of the stuff we talk about is like, we talk about a lot of shit. So it's just, but that's, it's the relatable stuff that people want to hear from us. Right. And, and that's the relationship that we've built with them. And so I can be a different version of myself in that podcast room than I am in a boardroom or I am, you know, with our team and that is okay. And I, so I'm, I'm trying to challenge myself to not let that chip on my shoulder of trying to prove myself to people. And you know what? The thing when we're trying to prove ourselves to people, like with your teachers, like honestly, there's some people that you can do everything and they, mm-hmm. you will, they will never think you're enough. And so it's mm-hmm. like why, why am I letting the, the way that I live my life be affected by someone that I don't actually care about? very much but I feel like I have to prove myself to them it's so funny when we get stuck in in that Mm. um but yeah I've had to really challenge myself on that because I think I can't be my true self through my socials and through what I do and how I built how we you know how I built my personal brand and how we built kick in the first place by trying to be this polished version of myself all the time it's obviously different Mm. for Dalton and and for yourself too because you you know social media is not a a huge part obviously by the fact you can delete it of what you do um, yeah. But for me, I've had to really challenge that thinking that I can be more than one thing, and it does not mean that I cannot take that I should not be taken seriously. Hmm. And I feel like the answer is in that statement itself, because you, like I asked you earlier, you do so many different things. It's hard for the human brain to package all that. We all mm. bucket everyone into one thing. It's the same with me. I do a few things now, and it's like when I go to 
events or parties for the first time, people are like, what are you doing? And my answer is bunch of things. And people are like, what do you mean by bunch of things? Mm-hmm. And, and I hate saying that, but I'm like, I don't know. I can't bucket myself. I'm not just in a job and I'm like, I am manager at Y or I am founder at X. I'm like, no, I do these things. And it's like, I'm speaking at an event next week. And they said, send me a bio. And I'm like, how do I send you a bio? Because one, I'm not, I don't like promoting myself. I'm like, just look at my LinkedIn and create your own bio. They're like, no, you need to do the work. I'm like, all right. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to send you a freaking essay, but I don't want to also limit myself to just one sentence. Mm. And, and also, like you said, like the title can often be a perception. Like just because someone says founder, there's actually different kinds of founders. Like I think you're not the traditional founder who's mm. raising capital and sitting in a board meeting. You're probably a more a fun entrepreneur in a way, right? You're building still a really successful business, but in a very different way was it like a Mark Zuckerberg is not on Facebook doing stories every morning, mm. right? So he's a different kind of founder. Mm. So, and I think that's quite interesting. Uh, but on the point of capital raising, have you raised capital for the business or have you bootstrapped it yourself? Because that in itself is amazing. To this point, we are bootstrapped. It's something that we are currently thinking about though. Um, and because I think with a business, you get to a point, I mean, we've, um, I mean, it's great that we've been able to bootstrap ourselves to this point. And we've been going since, as, as I said, 2015 with the ebook with the app launched mm. in 2018. Um, but there it is something that we are thinking about at the moment. I know a lot of businesses go through it and it's a, it's a really um, exciting stage to, to mm. be in. Oh, so, cool. Yeah. Well, we should definitely chat after this. Yeah. I'd love to. <laughs> love to understand more about that we've got a few minutes left laura so i'd love to close with a quick rapid fire final sprint is there one investment you've made that you consider the best in your life non-financial non-financial can i say my i know you buy dogs but (laughs) your dogs are your dogs are amazing i i love your dogs they bring us so much joy they're they're just the best things in our lives And you've got two of them. That's again, back to like time management. I, d- I don't know how you add that to your schedule. You must have these secret helpers that you don't tell anyone about. <laughs> With the dogs, no, we just, um, I mean, oh, they're just the best. They're just, yeah. yeah they just, no they're matter a lot what, of work. They're, they're a lot they, of work. Oh, they are they, a lot of work. Particularly gold, Goldens, they're yeah. a lot of work. We just have a lot of hair in our house and we're fine with that. <laughs> Is there one thing you'd like to learn in the next six months? Ah, oh, I love learning. What would I like to learn? Um, I, oh, I've just finished my PT course. So that was, mm. that was, that was interesting. Something I wanted to do for a long time, but I think I would like to, um, I'm looking at currently at a few leadership courses that I want to do because I'm still very early in my journey of leadership and I want to always make sure I'm doing the best by our team um, and doing everything that I can to be able to do that so that's yeah that's what I want to learn more about in the next six months. Is there one person or quote that inspires you today? I think the quote that I come back to so there's two and one comes back to my um, my philosophy on hard work and I suppose my the focus that I had on it in growing up and that's that and I think too I want to absolutely acknowledge that as I said some people can work really hard and success does not come so it is a privilege for it to come but um, something that I read in it would have been late in high school and it was um, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard and mm-hmm. for me someone who as I said was not naturally a genius and I'm not I'm not I'm, I'm still not um, <laughs> I I had to work really hard for things and I think that quote made me real because I think it's really easy to say oh I'm just not 
I'm just not smart. I'm just not really, I'm not really good at that. I just can't do that. And we put that barrier on ourselves. But I think that quote for me is, is, is a true testament to the fact that no, it is your choice if you want to be successful or not. Again, there's privilege in that. Um, but you do, you can work hard and that's something that you can control. Um, so that, and then the other one that I love is I love Brene Brown and I love her quote, um, about the, it's, it's, if people, I'm going to butcher this cause I don't know it off my heart. I'm so sorry. And I'm sure anyone that's a Brene Brown fan right now is like, Laura, don't, you're making, you're ruining it. Um, but it's Brene's quote about being in the arena, um, mm. that if people are not in the arena with you, then don't like their feedback is not something that you should take on. And I think that's a really good, um, thing, especially with, um, you know, the, the, especially having a public profile, the stuff that comes in, it's not even just from, um, you know, from people that I don't know, it's lots of people. I think everyone wants to share their opinion with you on how you should live your life and how you should run your business. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think too, everything should be taken with a grain of salt, depending on the experience that that person has had that is throwing this feedback at you. So true. Advice is very easy to give, but yeah, hard to act exactly on. right. Yeah. But Thank you, Laura. This is that's the finish line. I love doing this and and really love everything you're doing. And and I've followed you for a long time. So when Dalton put us in touch, I was super excited. So thank you so much. Wish you all the best and keep in touch. Thank you so much. I love, I love chatting. I hope you took away some actual insights and learnings from this conversation to apply to your life and continue to be one percent better. If you're enjoying the show, I'd love to hear from you. You can either share a rating or review on your podcast app or contact me directly via email or any of our social media pages. All links are in the show notes. Talk soon.